Brought to you by Armstrong Comfort Solutions and by Matt Mertz Plumbing. All right, I just set it up. Let's hear the John Tortorella soundbite. I, I assume he's speaking with somebody at the Flyers website. I think this is posted by the Flyers' own Twitter account. So here is John Tortorella on being hired by the Philadelphia Flyers. As I told Chuck, I look at that emblem, and back in 04, when we were fortunate enough, I was coaching Tampa. And we went through Philly to win a Stanley Cup, beating Philly in the conference finals. Man, that is a, that is a place I would love an opportunity to be in coach. Uh, the, the passion of the people, the building, uh, everything about the city. It was really neat for me. And I remember when, I, when my first meeting with Chuck, when we started this, he wore a short shirt with the emblem. And, and I said, man, that, that's where I want to be. I couldn't be more excited about being part of the Philadelphia Flyers. It, it may sound a little silly, but even when I was coaching other teams, I've always thought about that city. I've always thought about that team, about hoping to have an opportunity along the way. And Chuck is Chuck Fletcher, formerly of the Penguins front office, now the general manager and uh, is he co-president of the Philadelphia Flyers or something like that. But at any rate, that's who Chuck is. And I don't know who Torts was talking to directly there, but my God. Didn't that just make your stomach feel ill? I mean, Tortorella extolling the virtues of Philadelphia as a city and as a hockey fan base. This is going to be glorious. Yeah, and there's something so right about Tortorella waxing nostalgic. Tortorella getting all misty-eyed at the thought of orange and black in the Philadelphia Flyers logo and saying, yep. That's the place for me. It just fits so well, doesn't it? And to that point, the poll that we put out, I talked about this on Friday when we were at the casino. I put a poll up saying Flyers hiring torts equals bad news for pens, good news for pens. 87.1% of you said good news for the Penguins, and I agree. He's not quite the turnaround quote coach that people make him out to be. Uh, it takes at least a year, and... I think, what was the math that I came up with? Something like of his 18 years coaching. Yeah, he won a cup. And yeah, he pulled off that huge upset with the Lightning. Excuse me, uh, uh, with the Blue Jackets of the Lightning. But aside from that, he's gotten out of the first round of the playoffs like three other times or something to that effect. So this is not going to be anything more than a continuation of the norm in Philadelphia. And in recent seasons... That's good news for the Penguins. 412-333-9939. All right, let's uh, get back to some of what we were talking about earlier. If you haven't heard the Chase Claypool soundbite yet, I was actually thinking about holding on to the Tortorella soundbite for later in the show, but Greg got me thinking about it. I was going to play the Claypool soundbite again here, too. This is Chase Claypool, the Steelers wide receiver from the I Am Athlete podcast, where... Claypool tells the host, Brandon Marshall, Shady McCoy, and I think the other one was Pac-Man Jones, maybe, who was the other guy who was on the podcast. He says to those three guys, he thinks he can be a top three receiver in the National Football League. My first year, I'm going to say my second year, I was a bet, I was a better football player than I was my first year. Mm-hmm. The plays just didn't, you know, just didn't work out, right? Yeah. Some of the plays didn't go my way. I didn't make some plays I didn't make. But as a football player, understanding the game, knowing what to do, knowing where to be, um, you know, I was better. So I'm going to be better this year. And, you know, just like you said, 
understand I'm not normal. I feel that way when I'm on the field. I understand. I know for a fact I am not like the rest. The rest of the guys in the yeah, NFL. Talk, talk, yeah. I know I'm a top five receiver. Yeah. I know I'm a top three receiver. Yeah. Yeah. You know I love that. The three. Yeah. Keep saying that. Keep saying that ridiculous stuff so we can get headlines and people to click on our podcast. Get, get, keep saying you're a top five receiver. Go ahead, Chase. Yeah, get us clicks. Get us listens. Get the brand out there. I Am Athlete Podcast, the place where Chase Claypool said that he was a top three receiver. I mean, are you serious? What, again, plausible subtractions do you make from the top five list or top three list to get Chase Claypool in there from Cup Devontae Adams, Diggs, Hill, Jefferson, Debo, Jamar Chase. Who are you taking out to make Chase Claypool this year a top five to top three receiver? And it just speaks to, I think, the disconnect between how the Steelers players see themselves, how the Steelers franchise sees its players, and what the reality is. Because there's no strain of reality that even makes... Claypool's first point that he was better last year than he was his first year. Claypool had 11 touchdowns his first year. He had what, two a season ago? If you're thinking, all right, well, Claypool is going to put this out there and he's going to motivate himself and he's going to step up and he's going to live up to his own expectations, he said he was going to score 14 touchdowns going into last season in between his rookie and second year. So how did that work out? 412-333. 9939. You can also tweet at Tim Benz, PGH. As we talked about in the four o'clock hour, though, that might only be the second dumbest thing that a Steeler said today, or former Steeler. Richard Mendenhall said that he was not responsible for his fumble in the Super Bowl. Yes, if you're just tuning in, the logic that Mendenhall put out there is he's going to invent his own stat, he is going to invent Mendenhall's. Mendenhall's will be the statistical equivalent of getting stripped of the football before you have the football. Here's the problem with what Mendenhall said, though. Claiming that the fumble in the Super Bowl against the Packers was the equivalent of a strip sack, he actually had the football secured, took four steps, and then got hit. Now, did Matthews make a better play than it was a bad fumble by Mendenhall? Yeah. Was the blocking in front of Mendenhall Worse than the sin of how he was carrying the football? Yeah. Was it still a fumble? Absolutely. And I don't know what Mendenhall was thinking trying to uh, kick this up because all it did was just flood his Twitter account with people ripping him. Or, like I said before, there was this weird cross-section of people who actually were defending Mendenhall in his stance, and I don't know how that's humanly possible. I don't know how anybody could think that Mendenhall was right in what he was saying. You know, like, this comes down to, in 2022, two people can look at the exact same video and have a different response to what they're watching. Because I don't know how I could watch that video and go with Mendenhall's explanation of what physically happened. And the other thing we were talking about earlier, uh, this goes back to the hockey conversation I want to play Mark's clip again about what he saw from three ice and see if people, maybe if you weren't listening earlier, just get in your car now, you're heading home from work if you didn't have the holiday. Um, if you didn't hear what Mark had to say about three ice, which is the three-on-three hockey tournament format, 
He saw it in Las Vegas. It's coming to Pittsburgh in July. And how the NHL may steal a rule from three ice and apply it to overtime. Mark my words, there are certain things about this three-on-three league that, that the NHL is going to adopt for their three-on-three overtime. You watch, for example. You know how in the NHL, to get a change, guys circle back behind the red line, right? Correct, yeah. In three ice, if you circle back behind the red line of possession of the puck, you turn the puck over. Once you cross the blue line and are in the offensive zone, you can't circle back behind the center line. And it's not a face-off. You have to give the other team the puck. Yeah, apparently there are a lot of rules like that in three ice. And as Mark told me when we did Madden Ben's Unfiltered this morning, like goofy things sort of like you got netting around the hockey rink, right? So if the puck hits the net and falls back into play, it's live, sort of like arena football. If a goalie freezes a puck, you keep the puck moving by throwing it into what amounts to a safe zone. Um, I, I like it. I like these ideas. And again, I'll come. If you think that's too hokey, well, maybe it is. And maybe the only one that we take and apply to the National Hockey League is the red line, sort of acting like a blue line in three on three. But let's be real clear about this: three on three overtime is nothing but hokey and gimmicky, and to keep fans entertained anyway. So why not ramp up the entertainment and make it a real circus? 412-333-9939. I love the idea. I think that's great. I think they should adopt it. I think they should use it. I'm kind of surprised it hasn't been put out there before because, you know, having never played three-on-three hockey, I didn't realize a lot of, like, pickup leagues and kids leagues will do stuff like this that basically have that rule instituted and written down. You make that just like a power play. You can't clear it out. Now, I don't think they'll keep the puck moving and you turn it right over to the other team. They'll pick up the puck. They'll do a face-off in the offensive zone. There are points at stake. But, you know, I've always made this argument about three-on-three overtime in the NHL. You see way more breakaways per game. You see way more breakaways per season, per month, however you want to break it down. You see way more breakaways where it's just skater on goaltender than you ever use three-on-three, than you ever see it. Three-on-three is so rare to naturally occur, it almost never happens. You get a breakaway or two a game. Goalie stops the skater, the skater scores. It's, it's, a, it's a part of hockey. Three-on-three is barely a part of hockey, and it's a much less seen part of hockey. So if you're going to determine points that matter in the standings, points that feed the eventual playoff bracket, and you're going to sacrifice that in the name of entertainment to break a tie in overtime, well, then keep it as entertaining as possible. You know, and like the intentional structuring of a non-structured fracas that is three-on-three, where it's just frenetic pace up and down, the NHL has immediately figured out how to structure it, like Mark was saying, to get the puck, loop back, get the change, structure a breakout to come out and just formulaically take something that can't be formulaically quantified like three on three you would think but they figured it out well now this rule sort of prevents that and if that was the whole nature of it in the first place well then put it in play because you've already sacrificed what amounts to the integrity of the game by putting a goofy format out there that is never seen in regular hockey almost never seen three on three during regulation of a regular season game. If you're going to bastardize it that much, then why do we care so much about other little nuances of the rules?
can also tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. Uh, when we come back, a former Steelers opponent, one of the most disliked Steelers opponents, if I'd say, oh, the last 10 to 15 years, had a controversial hot take about quarterbacks in recent memory. We'll have that for you when we come back on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. I would want total and absolute autonomy. Hey, Mark. Great show. Are you part psychic? Well, I'm actually more neurotic than psychic. The X at 105.9. Here's something really disgusting. Almost as disgusting as uh, John Tortorella coaching the Flyers. Not quite as disgusting, but close. So, earlier in the show, commercial, run out to the bathroom. Before I go out to the bathroom, kind of stop in the break room, and they've got, like, these pretzels in there. You know, big tub of pretzels. I was like, hmm, I'm going to come back and get some pretzels. So I'm in the bathroom, wash my hands, of course, because that's what I do. I'm, I'm clean like that. That's not the disgusting part. So I take the pretzels and I dump them into my hand, right? That's fine. So I have a couple pretzels. A little bit later, like, I want some more pretzels. So I go back in like the 5 o'clock hour. I dump them into my hand. And I'm eating the pretzels and all of a sudden I'm like, what? What does that taste? Something tastes weird here. And all of a sudden, my lips, like, start to turn numb. I'm like, is that cologne? I'm like, I'm tasting somebody else's cologne from their hands on the pretzels, and now it's making my lips numb. Like, there are these things, like, maybe we felt like we were overreacting during the pandemic, when it came to don't touch anything else that somebody's going to touch and, you know, don't double dip the chip. And you thought I was going somewhere else with those pretzels, right? These pretzels are making me thirsty. No, these pretzels are making my lips numb because I'm tasting your cologne on them. I think it was Old Spice. I could almost taste the brand is how clear it was. So, like, don't root around for the pretzels that have the most salt on them and leave the other pretzels behind for someone else. That's just, that's not right. Especially if you've used cologne. It's, Kind of cheap cologne, too, whatever it was. 412-333-9939. You can tweet me, at Tim Benz, PGH. Um, I'm going to get to this Bart Scott bite here. I think I've got some time. So there's Bart Scott on ESPN Radio. Now, this is not as dumb as Rashard Mendenhall saying that he didn't fumble against the Packers. It was not a fumble. It was a Mendenhall, which is what we're calling the stat now. Separated, separated from the ball, right? So yeah, separated from the ball. That was his own self-created stat, the Mendenhall, that he came up with. But listen to what Bart Scott said about the difference between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady here. And this is Scott insisting that Manning was the tougher quarterback to play against and prepare for. For me, like, I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than to go against Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. That's how you feel. It was... That's yeah. how I, I believe that's how everybody feels. Interesting. I like, like that. in the heyday, you well, never, ever have I said, let's also point out. I'm so afraid of Tom Brady that Bart Scott faced both men in the playoffs. And you well, beat both of them. You beat you beat both, but you also lost to both. Yeah, but, yeah. So you know what you, you yeah. I'm just saying you understand. I lost, this that, I, lost, than I lost as a number one seed to Peyton Manning. That's right. You know, with the Baltimore Ravens. Right, right, right. Right. So it's like 
Peyton Manning gives you a total sense, a different set of anxiety. <laughs> like, you have anxiety. Like, you sleep at night like, damn. You don't want to be the guy that's like, ah, ha, ha, I see you, Bart. Yep, this is a fire zone from the left side because Bart is cheating to his blitz. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> He's calling you out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Tom Brady was more about Bill Belichick, the entire team, the execution, like them having a game plan. But Tom Brady, but, but, but Peyton Manning, literally, you feel like you got to go take an SAT test. So how did Tom Brady win the Super Bowl then with the Buccaneers if it was all about the game planning of Bill Belichick when he had Bruce Arians as, a, as his head coach? I mean, come on. Look, I mean, that's personally how he felt about it. Fine. Like, but when he said, I think that's how everybody felt, I, I don't know. How many Steelers did you talk to, Bart? Because I wonder if you might have gotten a different opinion from some of the Steelers that had to face Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and... Randy Moss and Wes Welker over the years. Like, when you say it's about everybody else, yeah, he had players around him, sure, and he had a good coach, but what did Manning have? Yeah, Manning had some pretty good players, too. You know, like, I, I, I think back to what the Steelers did to him in 2005 in the playoffs, and they didn't seem to have the difficulties that you did against Manning when he and the Colts were at their height and they were a one seed and the Steelers went there and beat them, yet they could never handle Brady in the playoffs. Like this this suggestion that Brady was just a creation of what Belichick's offense was when he was the one that left Belichick's offense and went to Tampa and won a Super Bowl, like how do you think that still has legs? How do you think that comp even still works? And you know... You could talk about the pre-snap stuff that Peyton Manning does and all the theatrics at the line of scrimmage and the Omahas, and actually that was part of a longer explanation from Scott where he's talking about how, like, Peyton Manning would come to the line of scrimmage in the first half, he'd yell, yellow, 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 and they'd figure out what it meant, and then by halftime they'd have a check to counter whatever yellow was, and at halftime he'd do the exact opposite, and it would mean a different play. Well, if Brady wasn't doing that, it was because he knew he didn't have to. Like, <laughs> I'll just run the same play again, and this time if you guys take it away, I'll hit the other option. Or I'll just step up in the pocket to buy myself some more time. Like, there were different ways those two quarterbacks made the same good teams in the AFC look bad repeatedly in the playoffs. But, I don't know. I You can tell me that there was more stress and there was more mental anguish over how Peyton Manning may make you look stupid. I just know what Tom Brady did repeatedly with different teams to get himself to Super Bowl titles, and I know what my eyes told me over who was harder for the Steelers to handle, for instance, and I don't think that was a Steelers-specific thing. And if it was so much easier to, to deal with Tom Brady, how come people still haven't figured it out? 412-333-9939. All right, we come back. Um, if you were listening for Jim Miller on Friday and you didn't hear him because we had to reschedule it, we moved it around, so we're going to play it back for you today. Real interesting stuff. Former Steelers quarterback was part of a three-quarterback derby that took place in 1996 with Mike Tomczak and with Cordell Stewart. He ended up winning the job, of course, started the 1996 season, uh, only lasted one half, and then they gave it to Mike Tomczak. And he actually, in the interview, talks about that pretty openly, so that was kind of fun path to go down but also he is now a host for moving the chains on Sirius XM and has worked in the Chicago market and studied Mitch Trubisky very closely so he gives some insight on Trubisky as well this is 105.9 The X 
And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Konnichiwa, bitches. Konnichiwa. Hi, Marco. I have some porn questions for you. That right there, my friend, that's asking for trouble. The X at 105.9. In case you missed it on Friday, we had a chance to catch up with former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Jim Miller, now host of Moving the Chains. He is, along with Pat Kerwin, daily over on Sirius XF, XMF, huh, Sirius XM NFL Radio. And he was on with us to talk about the three-quarterback derby that's taking place between the Steelers at training camp in Latrobe, between Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett and Mason Rudolph and whether or not he sees it playing out in a similar way to what he went through in 1996. Mike Tomzak, Cordell Stewart, and him, they were all vying for the starting job. He's been through it here, and he's also studied Mitch Trubisky very closely as a post-game and pre-game host with the Chicago Bears. Here's Jim Miller from Friday on the Mark Madden Show on 105.9 The X. Jim, thanks a lot for taking some time to join us. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I want to get your perspective on what it's like to be in a three-man quarterback battle. You know you lived it here in Pittsburgh with Mike Tomzak and Cordell Stewart. I listened to and really enjoyed the conversation that you had recently on your show with Bill Cower about it. Actually, let me start right there, Jim. Um, how many times have you talked with Cower about that in the years since you retired or left Pittsburgh? Was that something you guys ever discussed uh, publicly or privately? Yeah, we had casual conversations, and, you know, ultimately when I won the starting job in Pittsburgh and then week two they elected to go with, with Mike, you know, I understood the reasons why he did it. Uh, but, yeah, we had a really, you know, I thought very thorough conversation and why the decision was made, you know. So it was a year-long battle. I, I had won it. You know, I, I've always felt this way, that if I'm your guy, I'm your guy. You know, I think they knew they were going to go through a little growing pains because I was a – a young quarterback, but it was a veteran team. I understand Cowher's reasonings why he did it. We were just coming off a Super Bowl that we lost to Dallas. And Mike, you know, they just didn't want to go through the growing pains when we had a, a boatload of injuries week one against Jacksonville, which we unfortunately lost in my first start as a quarterback. I know that Cowher spent a lot of time speaking with you about the rationale to um, get away from being – bogged down by trying to spread the snaps so thin between three quarterbacks he had uh, I, I guess I could say it this way the luxury of being able to take Cordell Stewart and make him a wide receiver and still have Cordell positively contribute to the team he did so tremendously that year and then became the quarterback the next year but there's no such luxury this year with the Steelers Jim uh, how do you think that it will go this season with Kenny Pickett Mason Rudolph and um, with the likelihood of Mitch Trubisky probably being the starter. Yeah, I think, you know, the contract kind of says it all with Mitch. I think he's – they want him to be the guy with what he's being paid. He's going to be very competitive. And I cover the Chicago Bears. I do all their pre- and post-game work. And he would – hey, his teammates loved him. I mean, Mitch works extremely hard. Uh, he is a tough guy. Um, he lays it out for his teammates, and his teammates play hard for him. You know, I had an interview with Levi Wallace, who was his teammate in Buffalo – and that's why Levi signed with the Steelers, because he believes in Mitch. And so Mitch led a team twice to the playoffs. He's got a winning record. He's actually got a better record than Deshaun Watson, believe it or not, in terms of wins. And so it was a rough goal for him in Chicago. It wasn't all his fault, and he's getting another opportunity. So I think he'll make the most of it. But at the same time, you got to bring along Kenny Pickett. You know, he is a first-round draft pick. I think Mitch understands that. He understands the room. And uh, he knows that. 
it ultimately may be handed over uh, to Kenny. But Mitch will fight like hell to keep it. I can guarantee you that. He'll be a good teammate. And then you got another veteran in Mason Rudolph. He knows Matt Canada's system. He's been in it before. He's been a starter. He's got a winning record as a starter. So you insulate the young quarterback with two veterans who have played. And it's really going to be up to Kenny how far along he can be. And ultimately, you would think Mason, maybe by the trade deadline, if they feel comfortable in Kenny, that he can back up Mitch. And if he can, if Mitch were to go down, that Kenny's ready to play. I think that's the ideal goal, but I don't think they, they really want to put Kenny on the field and, and force him on the field. He's, uh, he's still got some learning to do and some growing. He's a talented young quarterback from Pittsburgh, and they know a lot about him, but it, it takes time. Not everybody just jumps in like a Justin Herbert and just excels their rookie year. Honestly, uh, Jim, I, I'd wonder if they would wait that long for Mason. I, I wonder if they might try to make a move and get a pick for him or, you know, maybe like a backup running back or something like that, if there's a swap that can be made for another team, say, before the preseason's over. Yeah. Well, Ken, Kenny will determine that. If they feel Kenny's learning development is far enough along where they feel comfortable that if Mitch were to go down, that Kenny can handle that situation, then they probably would move on. You know, because I would think there's some teams right now that don't have good backup quarterback situations. And, you know, you look at the Steelers, they didn't make any phone calls last year. You know, when, when Ben went down and, and Mason had an opportunity to play, you know, he played against some tough teams and put some good tape out there. He can compete, and uh, he, he'll be definitely be a value chip that the Steelers can move him. Jim, I want to go back to the point that you made when you mentioned the if I'm your guy, I'm your guy thing that you brought up before. I mean, did you – ever feel like that was the case in 96 and do you wonder if Mitch is maybe going through a little bit of the same thing here in Pittsburgh given that Pickett was a first round draft choice this season you know I just think for for me you know there was a year-long battle you know and ultimately I was chosen the guy I, I, I basically was given two quarters down there in Jacksonville I I made two mistakes in the game but we scored on three out of five drives you know you are I think they knew when they handed it over to me, or even if they were, if Cordell would have won it, you're going to go through growing pains. You know, and it's just, I'm going to make my share of mistakes as a young quarterback that we all do, you know, and then Kenny's going to make his share of, of mistakes, but that's how you learn. But again, it was a veteran team. We had a lot of injuries and that's why Cower ultimately decided to go back to Mike. He just wanted to steady the ship and, and Mike had the ability to do that. And Mike was a great teammate. And he handled it tremendously. Uh, but, you know, for me, you know, when you go through a year-long battle and I win the job, I, I think I deserve more than two quarters. Jim Miller with us, Sirius XM NFL radio host. Make sure you check him out there, moving the chains. Jim, how can it go then in terms of training camp practices, weekly practices for the Steelers, mm -hmm. if they do have these three guys competing? Because, mm -hmm. like I said before, there isn't going to be a – magical slash solution like you guys had take us through what training camp and mini camp or uh, preseason practices are going to be like for the Steelers to hand out these practice reps and, and get a true read on who the best answer could be by September the 11th when they open up their season yeah I think it's more difficult today because you don't have two two true a day or true two a days in training camp you know right, we legitimately yeah. had a uh, morning and an afternoon practice so you you miss all those reps of the afternoon practice. They're all gone now. And that was typically a, a passing practice. It was geared towards practice. And now you got to do it all in one practice. 
I would think Mitch is going to get his share of reps, and I would think Kenny is going to get his share of reps. I think early it would be 50-50. And then as it gets closer to the season, Mitch will start to get more of those reps. I don't think Mason – Mason will get all his work in, in the one-on-ones and with the receivers and routes on air and things like that. Mason knows the offense. He's been there. So his reps should be minimal, quite frankly. So it should be just really Mitch and Kenny getting the majority of the work when it comes to team period and seven-on-seven and really the crucial periods where you really got to get really get in sync with with your teammates. And Mason is a veteran. He's been around the block. He knows the offense. And so I think he he is the one who's really going to have to do the the mental reps more than anybody because he he really doesn't need any. I think it would be Mitch and, and Kenny. You know what's interesting, Jim, that, you know, I wish I had, you know, the power of going back with a crystal ball kind of thing so I, I could remember how much of what Matt Canada is now going to do with the offense that Mason Rudolph did when he was working with the twos. Because, like, for instance, yeah. I, I think there's going to be so much of a different look to this Steelers offense with the first team when it's out there on Sundays that uh, I agree. I mean, Rudolph should know the offense, but executing the offense, how much were they practicing that last year when it looks so different with Roethlisberger being at the helm in 2021? Yeah, I I think with Mitch and Kenny, it's going to have a different feel to it because Mitch has got RPO skills that, you know, they're not running that stuff with Big Ben, and Mitch can do it, and he can do it at a high level. Mitch is a really good athlete. I think the Steelers fans, you need to know, this guy's got some scoots to him now. I mean, he can he can run when he tucks and decides to, to pull it down and, and get some yards with his feet. So there's going to be that RPO element to this offense. That's going to be a new wrinkle, I would think, for Steeler fans. And, and Kenny can do it, too. I'm, I'm good friends with Pat Narduzzi. He was the head coach of Pitt Panthers. He was at Michigan State when I used to call Michigan State uh, football. And, and Pat raves about Kenny. One is his leadership. He's a better athlete than what people think. And I, I do agree with the number of starts that he has. He he probably comes, him and uh, Ritter from Cincinnati, come as two of the top uh, most prepared quarterbacks to step on the field, and they're not going to embarrass themselves. So I think there'll be an RPO element to it, and there's a pro-style element to it because Kenny's dealt with that because that's what Pat Narduzzi does at Pitt. So it should be a, a good transition for him, but he's just not ready. Things come faster. He's going to see a lot more coverages. Blitzes uh, happen from what your one-yard line to, to your opponent's one-yard line. So he's going to have to learn all those things in order to protect himself because there's a lot going on at pro football that's completely different from college. Jim Miller with his former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. From a coaching perspective, Jim, and I, I'll flash back again to the interview that you had with Phil Cower. He was going back to the very moment he sat you guys down in the room. He referenced that. Um, what, what was that like for you to talk about the, the three-quarterback battle with him when, like, training camp started or whatnot? What do these Steelers coaches this year have to do in terms of communication with the three quarterbacks to make this process as easy as possible? Yeah, well, I think Mike Tomlin has is, is really been open about it with all his players, you know, especially the quarterbacks. I think Mitch wasn't under any delusions of grandeur. Uh, that the Steelers were, you know, weren't going to draft a quarterback. He was well aware of it, and he still decided to to sign there in Pittsburgh because uh, he felt it would be a, a good fit for him. And then you go out and compete, and Kenny will have the ability to compete. And I do think Mason Rudolph makes that a healthy room because Mason, you know, deep down in his heart, he wants a crack at it too. Uh, so I think it's a healthy room. It's very competitive. 
but you just got to be open and honest with players. You know, if you start BSing players and hey, start promising promising them things that you can't deliver, I mean, that's not the way to, to do it. Guys got to compete. The cream will always rise to the top. Um, yeah, there's probably a, a pecking order just with contract-wise, but that doesn't mean anything. Guys in, the, in that room, they know. The guys in that locker room, they know who should be the starter because it'll show itself. It always declares itself at the end of the day. Before we go, Jim, I had two questions for you about Trubisky specifically because this is not the first time I've heard you talk about him very positively. I heard you on our broadcast partner, WDBE, not too long ago talking about uh, what he could be at the high end if things work out here in Pittsburgh. So I guess the first question I'd ask then is, why did it not work out better in Chicago, and what do you think will make it work well here in Pittsburgh? Well, I think they didn't utilize him right, and they never really had the talent around Mitch, quite frankly. Um, you know, he gets thrust into the lineup. They had Mike Glennon. I don't think their record would have been any different if they kept Mike in his his first year. You know, Mitch's rookie year, he was basically forced into the lineup, and here's a guy with only 13 college starts coming from North Carolina. So Mitch wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to play. It always happens by happenstance, and there's the public pressure, and and so they elected to do so. And so their offense was – it was a remedial offense. There wasn't a lot to it. John Fox was the coach. And then ultimately they move on from Fox. And then Mitch is now learning a new offense that is, doesn't have a run base. Matt, Matt Nagy uh, re- refused to run the football. There's no other way to, to say it. And that's the best way to protect a young quarterback. And so – I just think it was kind of – he was miscast, but he still won a lot of games. I think he displayed his toughness. Uh, I think he grew as a, as a quarterback, and he's much better prepared today. You know, he took a deep breath by signing up in Buffalo. He could have signed somewhere else to get on the field, but I think he made the right decision. I think Brian Dable, uh, then uh, the, the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator, was really good for, for Mitch in terms of how to handle the passing game where he could expand some things and what he does to get better. Uh, in the pocket at his passing because he's still a young quarterback who's got a ton of talent and he's won a lot of games like I said and his teammates love him he's tough and he can win games he can win games for the Pittsburgh Steelers but it still needs to be run base oriented Najee Harris is coming off a good year Mitch is further along with his uh, pocket passing now they'll have an RPO influence and they've got some good players around him so we'll see where it goes so with all that said were you surprised they took a quarterback then in the first round Say that again. I said, with all that said, were you then surprised that he took a quarterback in the first round? No, I wasn't no. surprised. No, I wasn't surprised at all. Mitch has got to prove it. You know, he's got to do it more consistently. He's got the talent to do it. But now you've got a, a first-round pick in, in Kenny Pickett, and we'll see where it goes. It's nice to draft a first-round quarterback who has that talent because you get the fifth-year option. So maybe Mitch is the bridge. Maybe Mitch is the guy. If Mitch isn't the guy, or, or Mitch is the guy, you ultimately have a trading chip in, in Kenny Pickett. If Mitch isn't the guy, then Kenny will get his opportunity. It gives the Steelers options is what it does. Jim, this was awesome. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thanks for going down memory lane a little bit and looking into the future with us, too. Glad we could catch up, and we appreciate you carving out a few moments for us. All right. Thanks for having me. Jim Miller of Moving the Chains on Sirius XM NFL Radio. When we come back, a fabulous concert that's in town tonight that needs some recognition. And this is an all-time classic day in Pittsburgh Pirates baseball history. 
We'll tell you why, if you don't know already. That's coming up next here on 105.9 The X. Super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius. Yeah. Mark, love the show. Well, if I won you over by imitating Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. So be it, baby. The X at 105.9. Mark will be back tomorrow after seeing this guy perform tonight in Greensburg. Tom Kiefer, the Tom Kiefer Band, formerly the frontman of Cinderella. He's going to be at the Palace along with L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat tonight. The Sonic Slam show, which had been rescheduled, I think it was supposed to be on the 15th, maybe? And now it's been rescheduled for tonight. Uh, kind of jealous, actually. I was kind of curious about that one. I really liked Cinderella when I was a kid. Tom Kiefer, one of the most identifiable voices in 80s rock, for sure. And this is always my favorite Cinderella tune, for whatever reason. Um, they have some good ones. A little bit of a change of pace one, but I always like this one. Uh, a couple other quick notes here. First of all, a very important day in Pittsburgh Pirates history. It was on the 20th of June 2015 when Jose Tabata leaned into Max Scherzer's pitch inside to break up his perfect game when he got hit on his elbow pad. You remember that? This is the anniversary of that great Pittsburgh Pirates moment. And uh, finally, thanks to our friend Mark Cabali, who has just uh, turned me on to a great new Twitter follow. Cabali uh, retweeted baseball in picks that's at baseball in picks i follow too many of these sites as it is already but it's sort of a sports nostalgia site and they just tweeted out a photo that i'm guessing is rookie year keith hernandez he doesn't even have his mustache yet he's with the st louis cardinals it's a dugout shot and he looks like he's 20 something which is to say he still looks like he's 40 something but without the mustache like it, it's so overwhelmingly odd to me. I really thought Keith Hernandez was born with that mustache. I've never seen photographic evidence of him alive without that mustache. And it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Hernandez. Mark's back tomorrow. 105.9 The